Rochelle Young. And I'm Sam Tracy. And you're listening to This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs and drug policy, including news, science, health, and history. This show is an all-volunteer project by students and alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome organization working to end the war on drugs. Every week on This Week in Drugs, we hope to educate the public and decision makers about drugs in order to eliminate harmful misconceptions and improve public policy. And hopefully have some fun while we're at it. We neither condemn nor condone drug use. Rather, we envision a world in which our attitudes and laws surrounding drugs are grounded in science, compassion, health, and human rights. We'll start things off with our news segment, then since it's the first episode of our hiatus, we won't have a discussion. But since it is still December, we do still have a drug of the month, where I'll talk about the current events and trends in alkyl nitrites, also known as poppers. So thanks for joining us for episode 76 of This Week in Drugs, and we hope you enjoy the show. Now it's time for the weekly news and forecast, where Tyler and I are going to go over some of the biggest drug news stories from the last week and talk about a few other uh, exciting things that are coming up in the weeks ahead. Uh, so, Tyler, do you want to start things off with our first story? Yeah, our first story comes to us from ABC in Ohio, and it's about a store in West Columbus that posted a controversial sign targeting uh, people who are addicted to drugs. Um, the store posted signs that say, Quote, attention, junkies, go ahead and steal a piece of foil. Just go ahead and make sure you overdose. Thank you. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, really rough and awful. Yeah. And um, so uh, our uh, engagement director, Sarah, noted in her headline collection that this is kind of the sort of thing that normalizes things like Rodrigo Duterte literally murdering people uh, when it kind of makes this, mm-hmm. you know, death of drug users into a like desirable or normalized kind of uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um It was brought to the attention uh, of ABC and Fox, like the local affiliates, by a woman who uh, has not been using drugs in six years, uh, but used to be a person who, uh, like, considered herself addicted to opiates. And Mm -hmm. uh, basically, like, in her interview was saying that uh, this sort of thing brings back a lot of really negative memories for her, and it's really extremely difficult to read, especially, it's like, so it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Right. This is actually it's not a big chain. It's uh, the Saveway Mini Mart in West Columbus. Okay. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's just like really difficult for her to be in this community and like have the store employees, uh, you know, put this sort of thing up. Uh, yeah. when the, the store employees were interviewed and they said they put it up as a, quote, last ditch effort to stop crime. And um, I don't know, like, I read that and I was just like, is that really what you're doing here? Like, are you really mm-hmm. trying to stop crime with your paper sign that's, like, telling people to go die from their, like, from their drug habit? Um, yeah. I think that's, like, that that seems flimsy to me. And I think what it really is is that, like, they have negative views of people who uh, have problematic relationships with drugs and they associate that with crime. And they are frustrated and not understanding of other people's lives and, have and like, lack empathy for those folks. And right. that is, like, very specifically causing uh, significant problems for uh, people in the community. So, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like there's obviously many more problems with this than the simple ineffectiveness of it, but I think it is pretty crazy to think that putting up a sign essentially insulting and dehumanizing people is going to make them not want to steal from you. Uh, right. I feel like if, if I was a drug user and I saw that and I was like, 
on the fence about stealing or was going to steal a small amount, I would be very angry about that, rightfully so, because it's a really insulting kind of sign and probably uh, wanting to do more things that, that would hurt the store and not taking a, a, an actual understanding stance on this kind of thing isn't really helping the problem at all, even, both on their very localized problem of what I assume is uh, shoplifting or something like that, but uh, the much larger problems about why people get addicted to drugs and why people end up in those kind of situations where they're so desperate, uh, this really is obviously not going to be solving that at all. Yeah, and moreover, it's going to push people further and further to the margins and, like, mm -hmm. increase crime. Like, that's, you know, one right. of the reasons people commit crime is because they live in the margins of the society and don't have as much access to resources uh, mm -hmm. or, like, legitimate ways to, like, get things themselves. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and just, like, as a final note for this, too, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners probably feel pretty outraged about this, uh, but I just think for for people who maybe aren't outraged about it but are outraged for stores that discriminate based on sexuality or race, like, you know, all these conversations about stores that won't sell wedding cakes to, like, mm -hmm. same-sex couples or, like, you know, racist store policies and stuff like that. If you're outraged about those things uh, and, you, like, you're down to, like, publicly shame those companies, uh, you should also feel outraged about this specifically, mm -hmm. too. Because this is something that is, uh, you know, very discriminatory and like not the right way to handle the situation. So um, mm -hmm. I thought this was really disappointing and sad. And, and I know, too, that like Ohio is one of the states that's been hit hardest uh, with folks who are having problematic relationships with opiates. And so right. it's, it's just really interesting that, that this is the setting of where it happens. Um, yeah. And if yeah. someone's struggling with drug abuse, the best solution is definitely not to dehumanize and otherize them, but rather to help them. And this, as you said, is certainly very discouraging for that and could even you know encourage violence in that sort of approach yeah and so unfortunately for our second story here we have another kind of depressing one uh, although there are some glimmers of hope around it but in an interview on cnn uh, u.s senator joe manchin who's a democrat from west virginia he talked extensively about how the opioid overdose crisis is hitting his state uh, talking about how people have a lot of physical pain because of having manual labor doing things like coal mining and manufacturing and seemed to take a really sympathetic approach to people who are struggling with drug abuse but then when the interviewer asked him what he would want uh, the incoming president trump to do about drug abuse his answer was matter of factly quote we need to declare a new dr war on drugs end quote and so he <laughs> this was met with a little bit of shock from the interviewer it looked like and a lot of people covering it online with you know surprise and derision and and saying like is is he serious about this uh with of course people pointing out that the vast majority of americans think that the drug war has failed i mean this is one of the major things in, in drug policy reform of like the statistics that over 75 percent of americans when polled and asked if the drug war on drugs has been a success or a failure, every, almost everyone says that it's failed. And so trying that approach again, obviously, isn't really going to be leading to any different results. And so for someone who's a U.S. senator to still still believe in that and think that we just weren't trying hard enough is both surprising and pretty scary. Yeah, wow. Uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, that's like a talking point from over 30 years ago that worked. And I'd be really curious uh, to know the, like, you know, all the data we have about 
what uh, American adults think about the drug war, I'd be curious to know how that breaks down in West Virginia and in his districts. And if this mm-hmm. is a talking point that specifically like speaks to his constituents. Um, right. And I know that West Virginia too is like one of the places that went really heavily for Donald Trump. And there's a lot of issues of like poverty and like drug misuse and stuff like that. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if this sort of like tough on crime, tough on drugs, clean up the streets sort of vibe is something that resonates with voters there. Uh, and mm-hmm. is something that like he considers to be positive messaging for his re-election uh you know attempts um, probably or or mm-hmm. if he just thinks that way right like not to say <laughs> that all po- like mm-hmm. i generally tend to think that politicians are motivated almost entirely by uh you know uh, election results but you know mm-hmm. they do have their own opinions and many of them are bad uh, so i yeah. wouldn't be <laughs> entirely surprised if this uh if he if the senator actually has a bad opinion mm-hmm. uh it's just ridiculous like like if you're gonna do it if you're gonna push for tougher sanctions on drugs why use this tired rhetoric when there's when you can already do it right like they're already you know we've seen uh push Mm -hmm. after push for stronger sanctions against people who sell drugs that are laced with like fentanyls and cause overdoses but it's couched in the language of like oh this is for public health so like Mm -hmm. you know i think the smart way to do this like if you really care about having tougher drug laws would be to couch it in compassionate language and then just push for tough drug laws Exactly. And, and that's the really surprising thing, too, is basically I, I think it could be genuine coming from him because I have heard this opinion from other people who basically kind of look at the correlation between Obama, you know, officially stopping using the term war on drugs, claiming that it's over, although we've, of course, talked about how uh, it's over more in name than in practice, uh, but at least winding down the war on drugs and that approach while the opioid overdose crisis is hitting and some people see that and think oh causation right there we're stopping the war on drugs and the drug problem is getting worse obviously we're just turning that around which has a lot of problems with it and and isn't the the driver of this which is so surprising too because at the beginning of this interview he was talking about as i was saying the the manual labor and the kind of uh chronic pain that people doing that kind of work often suffer from and how they're getting overprescribed uh pretty dangerous opiates and, and making some good points there but then after saying that we need a new war on drugs, he went on to talk about how teenagers starting with recreational marijuana are then going to be stealing prescriptions and moving on to heroin and really going back to that old gateway drug kind of theory. And and so it, it was really disheartening to see the second half of that interview really, uh, really take a dive there. But I, I'm just really hoping that this sort of rhetoric... Um, does stay on the fringe rather than you know sweeping back into into prominence i don't know if if donald trump has said uh if he'll be bringing back the term war on drugs in sort of a positive way after obama has uh you know officially stopped using it yeah i uh i wouldn't be surprised uh just because of sort of the the tone uh that donald trump's campaign ran and that his administration seems to be running uh, mm-hmm. this like kind of tough guy imagery and, and I think that the war imagery would work well but I also think that like it, it's just like this is the wrong talking point like this one already didn't work mm-hmm. um, even for you know but I I hear you on that uh, interesting like causation correlation uh, issue and I you know I wonder if this is another thing where like we're living in urban bubbles and like maybe that like rhetoric would work in a like super rural area that's been hit really hard by mm-hmm. uh, like opiate uh, addiction and and wants to see like a war waged on what they think is uh what they think is like an evil menace or something so 
Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, red states and uh, Trumpism, uh, this one, this next story comes from an ABC affiliate in Wisconsin. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker asked President-elect Donald Trump in a letter delivered Tuesday to give the state more authority um, in drug testing for some food stamp recipients. Uh, so mm. he's hoping that a Trump administration will be more open to drug testing, uh, particularly for childless adults who receive food stamps. Uh, and he's actually already, so Scott Walker has already sued Obama's administration to permit this drug testing after the Agriculture mm-hmm. Department said federal law prohibits it. Um, there's been this kind of Republican push in Congress to allow for it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, this, I thought this was really interesting, uh, especially as, you know, Scott Walker has been a critic of Trump in the past. Uh, but, like, this, I think, is a phenomenon that we're going to have to keep an eye on and, and really observe over the next four years and hopefully just the next four years uh, and how mm-hmm. like federal and state level politics play together. So, you know, with a highly conservative incoming administration and a majority of the governors in the country being Republican, um, you know, it's it's feasible that things like this could happen where a very conservative state administration could ask the federal government to just back off and let them do their own conservative thing on the state level that mm-hmm. before or the federal government was intervening and saying no you can't do that because like that's not cool um and right. i think this is right like it's really interesting the way that like small government allows uh like small government on the federal level allows state level governments to be big government uh and do these things where they're really kind of cracking mm-hmm. down on, on rights and stuff like that so i thought this was a really interesting phenomenon and, and really kind of messed up in terms of drug policy and how we treat people who receive uh food stamps Right, because we have seen some of these get shot down before. I think most notably was Florida, which I think was in the courts. But it was also I know that other uh, other states have kind of pushed for this in different ways and and like tried to create, you know, a slightly different system with slightly different requirements to, to try that out. And I do wonder, I mean, it takes a little while, of course, for a lot of uh, judicial appointments to go through. But as you said, on the executive side of things, in terms of who's running the DOJ um, and all of those other agencies that that have a lot of uh, d- uh, uh, room to pursue whatever kinds of cases or, or policies that they want to, um, a lot of discretion is the word that I was looking for there, um, in terms of what they're pursuing to even penalize states for. So if a state pushes for this, then maybe they'll just decide not to take them to court and try to avoid that kind of thing. And if all the federal resources are being stacked on on, on one side of this when they were previously on the other, it, it does give states a lot more room to push through these these kind of awful policies. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the dangers is not only like what a conservative like Trump administration can do, but what it can mm-hmm. choose not to do, uh, which is also like part of the dangerous uh, part of the dangerous part of the process here. Mm-hmm. And so for our last story here, and unfortunately, I'm realizing that pretty much our entire news segment uh, <laughs> this entire week is all pretty unfortunate news. It's um, been a rough week. It has. It's been a rough year because this is also our last uh, episode of 2016. Oh, yeah. So I guess it does seem like a kind of fitting way to end it. Um, although there's a, a little bit of good news in the headlines. So uh, we've at least got a couple of little spotlights. But but for our, our final big story here is about the Philippines. And this is at a, a press conference on Monday. Uh, Rodrigo Duterte, who's, who's the president of the Philippines, he admitted that he was once prescribed fentanyl for a motorcycle injury. Um, he rides his motorcycle a lot, as do many people in the Philippines, and uh, had gotten a pretty big injury in a crash, uh, but that his doctor had cut him off from it because he was, quote, abusing the drug 
by using more patches than he was supposed to. And so our, our, our regular listeners should probably understand already how absurd this is since Duterte's defining policy of his presidency has been a very literal war on drug users where he's been calling them inhuman, uh, that they're incapable of recovery, uh, and even is telling police and civilians uh, to act as vigilantes and kill them on site. And apparently he doesn't either make the connection between you know users of these other drugs or even probably fentanyl as well and his own fentanyl abuse in the past or he gets it and, and doesn't really care and that of course this is not really a genuine anger about drugs or anything but it just essentially an excuse to kill off huge numbers of vulnerable people at the the bottom of society and uh this has just been another really disheartening data point in the uh overall situation there in the philippines well when uh we when we covered this in a full roundtable uh discussion i know one -hmm. of the things oliver was talking about was the way that this push against people who use drugs is really an attack on like the drug cartels and like the organized crime which has propped up Mm -hmm. his opposition politically so i think i think this is more I think you're right. Like, I think he gets it. I think he understands the innate hypocrisy of it. I don't think he cares because I think that his targeting of people who use drugs and hoping that they'll turn themselves in or turn in their, like, whoever's selling them the drugs is a mm-hmm. political move against his opposition who are primarily funded by the illicit drug trade. So, like, I don't think that he actually has, you know, I, I would be surprised if he had any real moral qualms with people using drugs. And I'm sure that, like, as a person who has, like, you know, misuse fentanyl himself. I'm sure that he mm-hmm. like gets it and like understands the process of individuals doing it. I think that mm-hmm. this nuanced conversation we have with Oliver is really the one that people ought to be focusing on uh, because that's, that's where I think all of this really lies is like in the power dynamics of um, where does drug money go in the Philippines and mm-hmm. how does the Philippines in- interact with like the international drug treaties and the U S and China. Um, I think exactly. like it's, it seems that this like, you know, it seems like this sort of drug war is less of a moralistic, like, prohibition and mm-hmm. uh, more of a, like, political power play uh, demonstrating, like, what he can do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, just using that as a very thinly legally uh, legal pretext there um, in order to, to kind of justify all of this. And, and one other piece of news with Duterte is that, and, and this is something that's kind of been floating around for a long time but is more finally confirmed again, is that he admitted to personally uh, killing at least three people while he was mayor of Davao. Um, so he was previously the mayor of a really large city in the Philippines and was known as the death squad mayor and that he had essentially armed thugs doing very similar stuff of, of what he's doing now on the national level. But he told this story at, I believe it was another press conference of how he would ride around on his motorcycle with police officers personally looking for a fight with quote unquote criminals looking for a confrontation just so he could gun people down and show the police officers, hey, if I can do it, you can do it, was, was what he was quoted as saying. And so after this, uh, the UN's High Commissioner for Human Rights has actually called for an investigation and possibly even a trial of him saying it's their duty when the leader of a country has admitted to personally murdering people. Um, so we'll see how the UN and Philippines end up interacting uh, in the near future because this is definitely escalating a lot and uh only time will tell exactly where this is going to go yeah wow 
So uh, with that, I think we can move into our headlines. Uh, hopefully you get some rays of sunshine here. Uh, the first one isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. my first one is um, from the Brisbane Times. Uh, in Australia, painkillers that contain codeine, uh, such as panadine and nerofin plus, will require prescription from 2018 onwards. And here's one glimmer of hope here is that the governor of Guam, Eddie Calvo, has called for the U.S. territory to legalize recreational marijuana, saying, quote, let's figure it out and then tax the heck out of it and use those taxes to help fund our hospital, public safety and education, end quote. So uh, legal marijuana may be coming to another uh, part of the U.S. pretty soon. And uh, from the LA Times, the Oxycontin producer is expanding into global markets under the name Mundipharma, employing controversial advertising techniques that brought criticism in the U.S. And one final piece of bad news, a ruling from the Sixth Circuit Court has decided that police officers may shoot dogs while executing a search warrant if they feel that they're a threat and that dogs can be considered a threat if they are moving or barking, uh, so basically just being dogs. Wow, that's upsetting. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's uh, talk about these uh, forecasts and see what else mm-hmm. we can look forward to. Uh, let's hope 2017 is our year, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my weekly forecast is actually a call to action uh, since we don't really have those right now uh, during our uh, semi-hiatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my call to action nice. is to go read Maya Solovitz's you can rely on drugs without being an addict article, which we'll link to in the show notes. It talks about the important differences between drug dependency and drug addiction and the policy implications uh, of that distinction. All right. And I guess my forecast is kind of good news. It's just that this is a big week full of holidays. Uh, this is coming out on Christmas. Uh, so Merry Christmas, everybody. And New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve is Saturday. Um, so I hope everyone has a lot of fun closing out 2016 which has uh had some nice things uh i guess for me in in my personal life but on the uh national and global scale of things has been a pretty huge bummer uh to say the least and so i hope everyone ends their 2016 well make some great new year's resolutions for 2017 of of how you're going to improve the world and uh of course if you're drinking on on new year's just a reminder here's the drugs tie-in as well of uh just be sure to have a designated driver using uber lyft or even AAA offers free rides and i think free towing of your car like they'll if you're out at a bar they'll tow they'll give you a ride and tow your car home um and uh so just look into that and uh stay safe so happy holidays everybody it's time for the drug of the month where we go over the background science history and current events around a different drug each month of the year for december 2016 that drug has been poppers the slang term commonly used for a class of drugs called alkyl nitrites for this our final installment i'll be going into the current events of poppers how many people use them today recent changes in the law and new scientific research published in the last few years to start off just how common is the use of poppers In the United States, the best numbers come from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which is conducted by SAMHSA, which stands for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. 
Unlike some other surveys that group all inhalants together, they actually break down inhalants into many categories such as poppers, glue, nitrous oxide, and spray paint. According to the 2015 results, 2.8% of Americans who are over 12 years old have tried poppers. That's less than the number of tried mescaline, the psychoactive component in peyote, and only about a third the number who have tried psilocybin mushrooms. However, it is the second most popular inhalant, just after nitrous oxide, which has been tried by 4.6% of U.S. adults. Among American youth, as defined as 12 to 17-year-olds, the number who have tried it was only 0.6%, so it is quite a rare drug among children and is only about one-third the number who have tried huffing glue. On the global level, we have some data from the Global Drug Survey, which is the largest survey of its kind with over 100,000 respondents. However, responses are voluntary and self-selecting, so it's likely that the amount of drug use reported in this survey is higher than the actual rate among the entire global population. In this survey, 5% of people said they had used poppers in the past year, placing it number 8 in terms of the most popular past year drug. In comparison, cannabis was used by 55% of respondents, MDMA by 23%, and nitrous oxide with 7%. The laws surrounding poppers have changed a lot in the past 10 years, with many countries all over the world engaged in a game of whack-a-mole to ban certain chemicals, only to see poppers manufacturers just switch to a different formulation. Since it's a class of drugs, governments can ban a specific one such as amyl nitrite, which then just causes others to take its place. For example, the US technically banned them in the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1988, but provided an exemption for industrial products, which is why they are now marketed as room odorizers or cleaning products instead. Legally, this is kind of similar to the treatment of bath salts, which is a different class of chemicals just marketed as bath salts with a wink-wink kind of label saying that they're not for human consumption. France has also banned specific types of poppers in 1990, but then passed a law extending this ban to all alkyl nitrites in 2007. But just two years later, their courts overturned this law, saying that it was too broad and too harsh a response for a relatively small number of incidents, and now the products are just required to have warning labels instead. Canada cracked down on poppers in 2013, going after many manufacturers in an effort to get them off of store shelves. And most notably, the United Kingdom had a very intense debate on poppers beginning in late 2015 and then wrapping up this year as they were on the verge of being banned entirely as part of the UK Psychoactive Substances Act of 2016. They were originally included in the law, but many members of Parliament objected to poppers being swept up in this general push against all new drugs, saying that they've been around for a long time with minimal negative health effects, and that banning them would also disproportionately criminalize the gay community. At least two MPs, Crispin Blunt and Michael Fabricant, came out as having used poppers themselves while arguing in favor of excluding them from the ban. Despite their efforts, on January 20th, the House of Commons voted to keep them in the ban, with 309 wanting to ban them and only 228 trying to keep them legal. However, after this defeat, gay rights groups, drug policy reformers, and others kept up the pressure, leading the Home Office to announce on March 22nd that after additional consideration, they would be excluding poppers from the law. They cited research from the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs within the UK government, which said that poppers were technically not psychoactive since they acted directly on the body rather than having an impact on the brain, which, as we explained in the science segment two weeks ago, is actually true as poppers act mainly as a muscle relaxant. This decision to keep poppers legal was hailed as a major victory, though it's now becoming clearer that the UK government is going to be having a lot of trouble enforcing that law anyway. 
On the scientific front, there have been a few major developments in the past 10 years. In 2007, Professor David Nutt of the UK published a paper in The Lancet that ranked 20 different drugs on various criteria of their harms, and Popper's placed number 19 on that list. In terms of physical harm, it was safer than cannabis and only slightly more dangerous than GHB and CAT. It was deemed the safest drug in terms of dependence, and on social harms, it tied with methylphenidate or Ritalin as the second least harmful drug behind CAT once again. The study was used by many arguing against the ban on poppers since they have relatively few harms when compared to all of those other recreational drugs. However, one recent study also published in The Lancet, this one in 2014, focused on how some poppers were causing permanent eye damage in even casual users. This loss of vision is referred to as poppers maculopathy and is blamed on the switch from isobutyl nitrite to isopropyl nitrite following a ban on the old formulation in 2006. Like the popularity of so-called synthetic cannabis like Spice or K2, which is far more dangerous than actual cannabis, this serves as a clear demonstration of how bans on certain drugs can actually lead to more dangerous substitutes being used. That's all for the current events of alkyl nitrites, also known as poppers, which also wraps up this month. Since we're now on hiatus, we won't have a drug of the month in January, and we'll be going back to news-only episodes, but we will be back with a new one in February. If you have a drug you'd like us to cover next, please send us an email or message us on Facebook or Twitter, and we'd love to check it out. Thanks for listening to episode 76 of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Rochelle Young and me, Sam Tracy. The show is produced by Tyler Williams, and Sarah Merrigan is our engagement director. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please send us a message on Facebook or Twitter, or email us at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, thisweekindrugs.org, for more information about the show, including links to our guests, news stories, and forecasts. Also, This Week in Drugs is an all-volunteer project. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support our work, please check out our Patreon page, which is linked to on our website. This allows you to commit to a small monthly donation to help defray the cost of our web hosting fees. So that's all for episode 76 of This Week in Drugs. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week. Our outro song this week is The Plight by the Maya Spectra.
If only they could see 